This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG. And we're online at kpcg.fm and a live link at thetrumpet.com. Dwight Falk, Grant Turgeon with you here today. (laughs) It sounded like one person with two names. Dwight Falk, Grant Turgeon. (laughs) Uh, Beautiful day today. It's in the 80s, and uh, so we're really getting into the springtime here. They mowed the lawn the other day. Uh, outside of the, the studio here, and I was it was funny because I was working and I heard the familiar sound of the lawnmower, and I felt I felt a happiness inside, like hey, you know, spring lawns being mowed, <laughs> like it was a happy feeling. Yeah, the other day my family went to the park in town, and there were like three or four big mowers just going all over the place, and it did feel like finally something was starting to change, although. Yesterday, my whole windshield was frosted over, which I was not expecting. So it does seem like as soon as we feel like it's about to be spring, it changes pretty quickly again. Yeah, I had I had that this morning uh, because yesterday I got burned by the frost, <laughs> frost burn as well. <laughs> yeah. And I checked I checked the, the weather temperature and it said it was 58 when I was leaving. I said, oh, I'm good. I'm fine. There won't be any frost out there. I'm not, I'm not a science genius, but I do know that if it's up in the 50s. <laughs> but at the same time, we also know how inaccurate those phones can be whenever we check the weather. <laughs> that's true. I don't think I've been. I don't think I've had it be 20 degrees off. But yeah, that's that's a good point. Lots of headlines to take a look at today here on uh, Trumpet Radio Live, including this one from Fox News. At least 257 people are dead in Algerian military plane crash near the base. Officials say. Uh, so major uh, accident there. Algeria's defense ministry said in a statement that 247 passengers and 10 crew members were killed, with most of the victims being soldiers and their relatives. It added that the victims' bodies have been transported to the Algerian Army's Central Hospital in the town of An-Naja for identification. It was the first crash of an Algerian military plane since February 2014 when a U.S.-built C-130 Hercules uh, turboprop slammed into a mountain, killing at least 76 people. So this is a big crash, military crash. It looks like 257 people dead. And, uh, you know, all of us fly from time to time. And uh, we, you know, mostly assume that we'll be fine. But... uh, it's you know it's dangerous <laughs> accidents can occur and uh um so occasionally they do and this is one of those instances you know we're up there when you're in a plane if it doesn't work you're gonna have problems and they 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 did there in algeria well another big story in the news recently has been just how many crashes the u.s has been having uh with its military and how i think it's been already nine people who have died in the u.s this year and they were calling that a crisis so it wasn't 250 plus people dying. It just shows in general, though, whatever country it is, uh, these these planes are high tech. It, it takes really advanced understanding to be able to fly them. And at least in the, the case of the U.S., a lot of these uh, pilots are not getting as many practice hours as they used to. And so the crashes are going up. Even in a non-combat situation, they're practicing less but at the same time they're practicing as if they were in combat so it's still a very dangerous job to have whether you're actually going into battle or not yeah well that's interesting the uh uh, the statistics still show flying much safer than driving of course and uh especially with texting and driving i you know we mentioned this from time to time but just even in the last day or so I've had two or three times where I 
thought I was going to have to pull off the road because the person's just veering into the lane, you know, and uh, and you look at them. They, thankfully, in both cases, they see it at the last sort of moment and they swerve back. But they're on their phone. And then the thing that always surprises me about it is as they kind of pass and I can look in my mirror and see them, uh, they, they go right back to the phone. And then you see them do the same thing with the next car, you know, sort of in and out. And uh, so uh, we just always need uh, we need uh, to ask God for protection because, boy, <laughs> I mean, you can be doing everything right. And then somebody's just not paying attention, uh, whether it's an accident, like on a plane or something, uh, which is more rare, but just driving or anything where people are just not concentrating. And uh, so it, it's amazing how uh, <laughs> our lives are in peril pretty often. Not that you want to worry about it too much but at the same time just good to be aware that uh life is dangerous yeah it is and it's it's easy enough to veer off course on the road if you're going up and down a lot of hills and that's if you're paying full attention so if you add into that you know trying to text at the same time uh it reminds me of a commercial they had during the the golf tournament over the weekend that it was this golfer talking about how a putt within a few feet is called a gimme and yet, even then, some of the greatest golfers in the world still miss the gimme putt, the, the putt that is really technically given to you. You should make it automatically. And he he would then start relating that to how driving is very similar to that. You might think it's a gimme to just send a quick text, but by the time you look up, anyone could, could be in an accident from something like that. Oh, that's a really good commercial. That's, that's very well thought out. Yeah. Well, they have to have more of those public service announcements, and and they they do, it is illegal to text and drive. At least in Oklahoma, I don't know about everywhere. There's a fine, but I don't. You still see people doing it. And didn't it only become illegal here within like the last year or so? Mm-hmm. Like technically, for the longest time, it wasn't illegal, but everyone still knew it wasn't a good idea. Yeah, yeah, it's just amazing. Uh, the technology is coming under uh, scrutiny in a lot of ways, mainly with information sharing. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg yesterday, he had to go uh, testify about what his company's up to exactly, and that was kind of interesting. A lot of headlines about that. Um, you know, he's a he's an interesting looking guy. <laughs> he looks like a guy that would develop a computer program. I, I don't necessarily mean that as an insult, but I mean, he, he just kind of looks like he spent a lot of time <laughs> in front of the computer. Well, now, there was a there was a hilarious spoof of him yesterday. Did did you? Or not yesterday, but I think it was over the weekend on Saturday Night Live. Oh, I saw part of that. Oh, that yeah. was that was great. And the one part that really was hilarious was he was talking about, I'm sorry for sharing everyone's data, you know? And, uh, and then he's like, on opposite day. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry on opposite day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw a little just bit of that where he was going to apologize to every person individually. And, they- and reveal all the data that, they, <laughs> right. that was really embarrassing. <laughs> right. Oh, boy. Well, it, you know, it is a serious issue as far as what are they doing with Facebook and some of these other technologies. This is from Yahoo. It says, Zuckerberg hedges on how Facebook tracks you. Uh, some questions about Facebook are too tricky for its chief executive to answer, they say. In an extraordinary exchange during Tuesday's testimony before Congress, Mark Zuckerberg hedged on whether the company tracked its users across devices even when they may not be logged into the social media platform. Senator Roy Blunt asked Facebook's founder and CEO whether the company collected user data through cross-device tracking. So in other words, if you you have a smartphone, you have a computer, or you have an iPad, let's say, do they track what you do across the devices, and do they track what you do even when you're not specifically logged into Facebook? 
And he said, uh, Senator, I believe we do leak. We do link people's accounts between devices in order to make sure that their Facebook, Instagram, and other experiences can be synced between devices. Blunt followed up asking if that included offline data, data tracking that's not necessarily linked to Facebook, you know, which would be none of Facebook's business, right? Mm. He said, Senator, I want to make sure that we get this right, so I'm going to have my team follow up with you on this afterwards. Well, that's real clever. <laughs> Uh, and Blunt responded, <laughs> Blunt, that's a great name, uh, that doesn't seem that complicated to me. <laughs> now you understand this better than I do, he says, but maybe you can explain to me why that's that complicated. Do you track devices that an individual who uses Facebook has that is connected to the device that they use for their Facebook connection but not necessarily connected to Facebook? Zuckerberg said, I'm not sure how to answer that question. Or, sorry, I'm not sure of the answer to that question. Mm. So, it's again, this is sort of one of those situations where, I don't know, is he honest? Is he lying? Can you pin him down on it? Does anyone care to pin him down on it? Because, you know, you think about testifying and somebody asking you a specific question and you say, well, we really want to get this right, so we'll follow up with it. You know, did you steal the cookie? I really want to get this answer right, so my team will follow up later. <laughs> my team. You know, you're, you're just not answering the question. What would you do if you asked a kid that question? You know, or did you did you trip your sister on the way to school? <laughs> I really want to get this right, so I'm gonna have my team follow up with you later. I mean, it's just uh, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't know, but I I just can't believe that he wouldn't. This is a really silly situation. Just that they're finally having all these tough interviews with him because apparently a data firm helped the Trump campaign uh, find find what different voters were interested in and try to play to them that way on Facebook. And yet the last administration pretty much monopolized all the social media platforms. And one of the highest ranking uh, women who works for Facebook uh, actually she she's recorded as saying or she has messages that say how excited she was to help Barack Obama win the election. So why was there no outrage then? Why 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 do we have to be so selective about when a certain action is right and when it's wrong? Uh, you know, data mining is probably always uh one of those gray areas regardless of what candidate is being helped. Why are we only just now getting outraged about it? Yeah, I think my guess would be that when um, what happens with Facebook and with Zuckerberg really will depend on where they will come down politically. Like, what side are you on? And if they're on the side of the left, it, they'll probably just walk on. You know, why didn't Zuckerberg just say, oh, what do you mean collect data? You mean like put it in our pockets? <laughs> That's what I mean. Hillary Clinton said, what do, you, what do you mean wipe the server? You mean it's like with a rag? <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, nothing to see here. So, I mean, if that's if that's the uh, the thinking and the attitude uh, that they'll have towards people that are on the left, then if they deem him to be that way then or that he'd be usable to them, then I think it'll just be nothing to see here. If they feel like somehow he's an enemy of the left, which I don't think he is, no. uh, then they'd go after him, just like they're going after President Trump. It really doesn't have anything to do with the facts. It has more to do with uh, where you come down politically. Well, that's the age we live in, where it doesn't really matter what the action itself is uh, or what's actually true and false or what's right and wrong. It's just 
who you're supporting. And if you're supporting the so-called bad guys, then you have to be brought before a council and tried, so to speak. If you're if you're helping who they deem the good guys, well, that same exact action is somehow is somehow totally okay. It's it's bad either way. I mean, technically, uh, getting help from a data analyzing firm as a campaign is not really illegal, but at the same time, a lot of people didn't know that they had consented to it or they didn't consent to sharing their data at all. And a lot of people obviously are going to be upset by that, but wouldn't they be upset by that regardless of who was doing it? Why why are they only holding a council uh, when President Trump appeared to benefit from it? Uh, most people regardless of what they believe, probably don't like having their data shared or manipulated or, you know, them being manipulated themselves based on what the data says. That's really what the, getting the data is all about. It's about trying to market to specific people so that they will be more inclined to vote for you. And we like to think that in America, the votes are based on what each person thinks and what their own research tells them to vote. But in reality, there's a lot of different parties out there that are trying to manipulate how people think. The media is one of them as well. They're not letting people just just decide for themselves. They're trying to decide for them what they should do. Right. Yeah. I, I, anybody that's connected in any way to President Trump is like public enemy number one. I mean, you. I wouldn't even want to be the paper boy that delivered the paper oh. to him, you know, because all of a sudden you'd be investigated for something. But anyway, uh, Zuckerberg said he wasn't sure what Facebook was doing, <laughs> uh, you know, in terms of uh, sharing data and so forth. One of the commenters on this story says, uh, I can Google products at home on my computer without signing in to Facebook, and the next day the ads on my computer at work reflect it. Someone tell me how that happens. Hmm. So I think we've all had that experience, and, uh, you know, I, I have to come forward and say, look, I have complete, uh, almost complete ignorance on the, the back inner workings of these technologies. But, you know, you can notice certain trends and say, well, how come they know all this about me? Exactly. So uh, I don't know all the ins and outs of the technology, but I do know that um, they have more information than we probably would even think. But then just even think about how much information we give. We have to give. You have an online bank account. I mean, you have to tell them things or... You know, anything you do, you've got to give up a lot of personal information, and it just depends on what people do with it, or if it's safe, or if it's stolen, or so. Anyway, it's it's uh, an interesting thing. The Washington Examiner says uh, that Mark Zuckerberg is optimistic that artificial intelligence tools are going to be able to flag and remove hate speech on Facebook in the next five to ten years. Uh, he was asked about this, and he said, Some problems lend themselves more easily to artificial intelligence solutions than others. Hate speech is one of the hardest because determining if something is hate speech is very linguistically nuanced. You need to understand what is a slur, he said, and whether something is hateful, not just in English but then in other languages. And I just thought it was an interesting uh, thing to say there that, well, is it a slur? Well, how how does he define a slur? Because take this for an example: um, if somebody says, "Look, I don't agree with homosexuality. I think it's you know the Bible says it's wrong. I believe what the Bible says," and they happen to post that, which you shouldn't post on Facebook because that would be a problem. But just the fact that you use that term 
Is that a slur? I mean, you could use it as a, I guess, a derogatory attack or something. But I mean, if you're just saying, I don't agree with this lifestyle, you could pick anything, but I thought that's just one that seemed kind of obvious. Are you are you into hate speech now because you don't agree with the common the common uh, social trend? Are are you hateful now because of that? Now you could be in what you're doing, but when you just start saying, "Well, I think you know you used a slur or you uh, you know you made some group feel bad because you don't agree with them," now now that's hate speech. What about Islam? That's another big one. What if you say? I, I don't agree with some of these practices. And they say, well, that's hate speech. You can't talk about that. Well, that's why it's such a subjective term to say that, well, we have to decide for ourselves what is a slur and what is not. That's totally up to Facebook to decide what they personally like and dislike, what each of their moderators think is okay. Uh, I, I thought hate speech was really about a direct incitement to violence. So if you're saying all of this group of people should be rounded up and killed, that might be a problem because people could read that and try to act on what you said. But if you say, I disagree ideologically with this group of people, that that should not be limited in any way because that's where you start restricting the First Amendment right to, to free speech. It's only if you're really uh, posing a direct threat to someone's life uh, should you have that speech restricted if you're telling people to go out and hurt other people that's where it's a problem just disagreeing you can't get into that because then it just comes down to what the leftist facebook decides and obviously they're going to disagree with pretty much every conservative opinion they're going to they're going to pretty much censor every conservative opinion and we've already seen that on youtube on google on facebook that's already happening because all they have to do as the overlords of the internet is just say that, well, this is hateful. This is hateful speech. I disagree with it. And you're harming those people by hurting their feelings. That doesn't matter, though. Hurting someone's feelings has nothing to do with actually uh, posing a real threat to their lives. And I think a lot of people consider the Bible to be hate speech. Oh, yeah. Or if you were to talk about God or God's opinion, people will say, well, I don't believe in that. That's hate speech. You're, you're uh, you know, I don't know what the term would be, shaming me or whatever, <laughs> because you're talking about something that I don't believe in. And so you're pushing your thinking on me. But, of course, the opposite is, is or, or that exact same thing is happening just on the opposite side. So um, that's, that's going to be interesting to see what happens there. I don't know how relevant Facebook will be. I don't know how relevant any of this will be in five to ten years, but <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but that's what they want to do. And, of course, when you start making it an artificial intelligence solution, you say, well, that, that makes it you know, fair and that makes it more um, you know, easy to implement. But, but what it means is that you could, the, a person is controlling that programming, and they can just eliminate everything they don't like and say, hey, what, you know, look, it's – you know, we're not looking at your posts individually, but it, it the system pinged it, and that, that's the system. You know, it kind of it kind of uh, allows them to wash their hands of you know being responsible for getting rid of certain speech because they'll just say, well, hey, you you went against the system. YouTube's had that recently, where you know they'll they flag some accounts, pro Trump accounts, and uh, said, well, we just think you're a danger to the community. Well, why? Well, we just think you are. Well, but based on what? They, they don't reveal based on what. But we know based on what. They just don't like what you're saying. 
Well, that's an intellectually insulting argument to say that the program itself is the only thing that's responsible. If a leftist programmed it, obviously it's going to only cherry pick the things that the leftist disagrees with. If they're so sure it's only the program, why don't they let a really strong conservative go in there and make the program? And he can then eliminate all speech he personally disagrees with. Would they be fine with that? Because, again, it's only the program that's doing it, isn't it? It's only the program that's deciding what to be pinged and what shouldn't. Uh, it just It's just silly that they would even try to, to fool people with that type of reasoning. You know, it's really interesting. I, I was on YouTube um, yesterday. And I was looking for a particular uh, audio video clip. And so I searched media mocks President Trump. And because uh, a lot of media does, if in case somebody hasn't turned on the radio in the last <laughs> year or television. But, you know, almost every result that came back in the first 10 pages was about President Trump saying that the media mocked him and the the titles were like you know president rages at media and pres and it was all you know from from very leftist sites and i thought they've completely tweaked their algorithm to put forward a, an agenda J- even on that topic you mean to tell me you couldn't find uh instances of the media mocking the president Oh come on! It's it's all every day, but yet when you when you go to search it, um, boy, you have to look long and hard because it's all about him talking about the media, and then there are news stories from like networks saying, "Oh, he rages at the media again." So I thought, well, somebody somebody tweaked the algorithm because there's no way that would organically just show up like that. Well, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, how the radical left just wants to turn into America into any old country out there in the world. Uh, and and like, like I said, a lot of those countries are great. They have a lot of great characteristics, but none of them have the freedom that we do. And, and here you have a situation where they're trying to change the Internet to where it's no longer free, where it's no longer just a search engine that finds exactly what you're looking for, because I've noticed the exact same thing. Why is it that all the news stories are are from leftist sources? If leftists have written about it, their articles are like the first 10 or 20 or 30 results. Is that really not going to sway people's opinions if that's the only type of sources that they see? Obviously, it will. So it's no longer like a free and unrestricted Internet when people are constantly manipulating it. It's exactly what you have going on in China or North Korea. Obviously, they're a bit more extreme because they outright just block a lot of sites. But still, if they manipulate it in that way, uh, that's that's pretty much the same thing. They're a little bit more slick in their operation. Uh, YouTube, they don't just outright ban every video they disagree with, but they will demonetize them. They will make sure that the conservative commenters don't make money off of a lot of their most popular videos because they're apparently politically incorrect. So those are ways of really restricting speech, restricting the free flow of ideas, and turning us into a country that is just like everyone else. Yeah, there is a uh, real agenda there to influence, in particular, the young people. And the young people are the ones that are going to be on YouTube and be on these, those uh, platforms more. And so there's a real agenda there, and the Washington Examiner has this really interesting poll. Millennial poll, historic youth wave coming in 2018. The Dems outnumber the uh, GOP 2 to 1. 
So they're building their voter base in a massive way. And if you just think about the gun debates, you know, whose fault is it? NRA, Republican, you know, that that's that's what they say about that. All these all these youth movements, these hip cool, you know, movements as they would see it, um, they all favor the left. And so if you go on YouTube and you, you look for something, uh, and they're they're showing you all the leftist stuff first in the first three, four, five pages. And and I did find one that was more of I think a conservative, I don't know who it was, but and I I tried to play it and it took forever to load. <laughs> I'm like, why is it now? Maybe that has nothing to do with anything. I don't know. But the rest of them loaded pretty quickly. So anyway, I just noticed that. But uh, so they're building up their base. And uh, Mr. Gerald Flurry has this this quote in a really good write-up, uh, The Roots of America's Dangerous Turn Left at the Trumpet.com. It's, he says, the radical left has gained control of the government and uh, much of the country, Where did and the deep state now too, we could add, where did the ideas of America's leaders come uh, today come from? And he says, from our educational institutions, schools, universities. YouTube's an educational institution. I mean, any place you go to get information is educating you one way or the other. And so they've done a masterful job of it. They, they were sidetracked by President Trump getting into office. But they've done a masterful job of, of creating this young voter base that only sees left. Well, yeah, and that's such a brilliant strategy, I mean, in a sick way uh, to manipulate the Internet. That's a perfect way to get to the younger generation. And the younger generation is really a top target because they're not old enough to know how things used to be just a few years ago. Uh, If they're growing up in a time where you can hardly say anything that you think because you'll you'll get censored for it, well... That's all they know. They don't realize that there was a time where you could be politically incorrect. You could say what was true and obvious to everyone without without feeling like you're going to be chased by pe- by a mob. Uh, it's it's different now, and it's it really does remind me of that book 1984, where the children are like a nightmare to even to their own parents because they're trained by the socialist party that's in control, and basically. They're totally committed to that. It's all they've ever known. They get taken up by the different marches, the different parties that the that the political party throws for them, and and they learn the ideology. They get brainwashed by it very quickly, and then they turn on their own parents. They they turn their parents in to get taken up by the police for the for nothing, because because apparently that's what the political party has indoctrinated them to do. They're wholeheartedly into the ideology of a police state because that's all they've ever known Uh, that's what the book says and that's exactly what we see with these different movements these are kids who are increasingly being brought up in a less free nation where unthinkable restrictions are being put on guns on access to the internet on on speech in a lot of different ways uh they're growing up in a very different world from even what it was like 20 or 30 years ago yeah, it reminds me too of you know some of the history you'll read about right before World War II. Hitler did the same thing. He went after the youth. They had the Hitler Youth, mm-hmm. and you know I've read accounts of what it was like when uh, you know say a Jewish kid was in school and all of a sudden he didn't have any friends anymore because everybody was marching and wearing the uniforms and and uh, they were outcasts immediately and everyone was caught up in this awesome club. I want to join the club. 
you know, now you look at it and you think, oh, no, because we know the history of it. But back then, neat uniform, get to march around, you feel important, like you're doing something, you're going places. It's happened before. You could read the book um, uh, The Wave, which we read in high school, and uh, based on a true story, I believe, they tried it as an experiment in a high school, seeing if they could kind of recreate that Nazi movement. They called it The Wave, but and they made it a little different. And the teacher was stunned. It way too effective, and it almost took over the school. They had to shut it down because it was starting to become violent. But they were just doing it to see, like, could you get people to kind of go with the flow again? And and uh, they did. It's the same thing, and it's happening again in this country. Well, the young people obviously have a lot of energy. They're very passionate, and if certain people with bad intentions try to get them to go a certain way with and direct those passions the wrong way it can be extremely destructive i mean that was the cover of one of the recent time magazines was all those uh, gun control kids and i looked at them and i'm like wow this is the face of a movement here's one of them uh saying that the spokesman for the nra is a bad mother here's another one saying that uh, Marco Rubio is the same as the school shooter. Here, here's another one who is cursing about politicians being indebted to the NRA in, in different advertisements. That That's the face of a movement. These are kids basically throwing a tantrum and no one is stopping them. And they, do, they really don't know any better. They don't see the big picture because they haven't been on the earth for very long. And their parents are obviously not raising them the right way and showing them that there is there is a more free way to live. There is a better uh, way of life out there to live. Uh, the, the parents are not showing them what truth is, and the kids are not old enough, they're not experienced enough to find that for themselves, apparently. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I read a, a part, part of that article as well, and um, some of those young people said they basically threatened the politicians, and they said, you're going to get with us or get out. Yeah. And I I, uh, I just thought, well, uh, says who? I mean, you think you're so right that you either agree with us or you're out of here. Is that freedom? I mean, what about truth, though? <laughs> it, it, it's pretty scary, but like this Washington Examiner uh, poll shows that if the young people turn out, there it's going to be a landslide for the Democrats. Younger Americans have long told pollsters that they plan to vote and uh, set to make good on that promise this fall in historic numbers. And when they do, it will be a wave, a <laughs> hey, great word usage, <laughs> favoring the Democrats, according to a new survey of voters aged 18 to 29. You know, I was thinking, too, about how there are people campaigning every single night on these news networks. They're the ones with some pretty good ratings on the on the left. They're campaigning every single night. They're out there telling the young people what to think and uh, making sure they're all in line. The survey found that 53% probably or definitely will be voting, and of those most likely to vote, 55% lean Democratic, 21% Republican. Of course, sometimes people are afraid to admit what they really think. <laughs> they say this is the highest level of interest in voting we have seen in midterm in the midterm cycle since we started the poll. And uh, Della Volpe, he is the, he's the IOP polling director, John Della Volpe, and he said this, and I, this is fascinating. He compared this time to the post-Watergate period when a new group stormed into Congress. That's that's a great, great uh, thing to compare it to because um, Mr. Fleury writes in this same article, The Roots of America's Dangerous Turn Left, he said, President Nixon was a staunch opponent of communism. And this is getting back to Watergate. 
and the left hated him for it. At the time of Watergate, Rupert Murdoch, who owns Fox News, said, quote, the American press get the pleasure in successfully crucifying Nixon. But the last laugh could be on them. See how they like it when the commies take over the West. He was only one of many people who were thinking that way. And Mr. Fleury says, what happened at that time has a lot to do with what we see today. I remember hearing educator Dr. Herman Hay making this point in 1980. He said that President Nixon actually had come to recognize a communist conspiracy to work their way into the new left in America and that he broke it up. And for that, Hay said, he was driven out of the presidency because a part of his plan involved preventing the far left from capturing the Democratic Party. And hence, Watergate. That's all a part of the story that most people don't realize. Watergate was not an attempt to see who was at some party of the Democratic headquarters. It was far more serious. It had everything to do with preventing Nixon from stopping the communists from infiltrating the radical left. And so here, you know, down, down the road, decades, we have this youth movement storming in to vote, they claim. And the pollster says, this is just like a, a post-Watergate period when a new group stormed into Congress. Well, I would say, who's going to be in this new group if they come in? And what are they going to do to America? Well, that's right, because a big reason the left hated Nixon so much was that he played a big part in bringing down Alger Hiss, who was, I believe, a communist spy uh, educated at Harvard, a hero of the left. And they had a grudge against him ever since then. And basically, they took their opportunity to bring him down when he was spying on that Democratic uh, political headquarters. And and so uh, you have to understand when looking at that, why they hated Nixon so much. And that's really exactly what it was, just like Mr. Flurry says there. He was an opponent of communism. He exposed communism. And he even was trying to fight communism even more in the Democratic Party. And they just couldn't stand it. And that's very similar to this wave they're talking about now. And like you said, that is pretty uh, telling language that they're using there. It's a it's again, it's a very radical left wave. It's fueled on emotion. A lot of it's fueled on hatred, just like it was after Nixon. And they're not they're not looking for truth. I mean, it is staggering just to see uh, how many people go out for the, the, the March on Our Lives, 200,000 plus in Washington, and then obviously many more places around the country where a lot of people show up. And they can't even answer a single question about what they're so upset about or what they think a solution should be. They, they, don't, they don't know the two sides of any issue if you tried to present it to them. Uh, if you told them that a leftist politician they agree with uh, has a very conservative position, they would immediately... Uh, go along with it because they don't know enough about the issues to realize that the person presenting that to them is just making it up. Uh, there's just not very much knowledge in this huge, emotional, outraged, passionate mob. It's all about just uh, going along with the crowd, basically, and listening to what these manipulative parents and, and other authority figures are telling them. And they just want to be part of a movement without knowing if they're part of the right movement. They're not thinking about where it ends up, that's for sure. It's uh, it's really um, it, that that party. I mean, it's it's a cult of personality. I mean, that we saw that when President Obama was in there, 
you know, he couldn't do any wrong in the media's eyes, no matter what he did. Nothing wrong, nothing wrong to see here. There's a new book uh, that's coming out, the Daily Mail reports. One of uh, Obama's aides has written a book. Would you be surprised? It's a glowing review of the uh, former president. <laughs> and they, they say this, a couple things that are interesting. It says the White House was a celebrity hotspot during his eight years in office. So we want to get all the celebrities in there. Comedian Jerry Seinfeld came to do a segment of his show, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, with President Obama. And the two drove on White House grounds in a 1963 Corvette Stingray. It won the show an Academy Award nomination and smashed all viewership records. Seinfeld told Obama he was the coolest guy ever to hold the office of president. Is that is that a qualification? You have to be cool? You know, uh, is it cool to help Iran get their <laughs> nuclear program going? Is it cool to pay for hostages? Uh, is it cool to uh, not fulfill uh, the promise to stop Syria once they use chemical weapons? I mean, is that cool? I mean, we're, are we are we children? Where our biggest concern about the 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 top leader in the land is how cool he is. Well, <laughs> apparently, that is the priority now. It was funny recently. Uh, there was a comment below an article that I was reading, and basically said, in olden times, the court jester had no value placed on his opinion. There was nothing. There was nothing relevant about the personal opinions of the court jester who came in to the king's court to entertain the king. And and he says, we should get back to that because yeah. all these celebrities are talking all the time. And really, when the vast majority of them support a certain political party, that should basically tell you all you need to know about whether or not that political party is right because uh, they are, they're always uh, talking about just agitation and activism that's what that party is all about they're constantly trying to stir up some type of grievance they're constantly organizing some kind of a protest it's not about bringing people together it's a hugely divisive movement going on and you have all these celebrities who really have no clue going right along with it and supporting it and calling anyone who dis disagrees with them all kinds of names about how they're a bigot yeah and notice this next quote. This is fascinating, and this gets back to a book we want to talk a little bit about, which is America Under Attack. This, this again, this is a former uh, President Obama aide. His name is uh, Pat Coonan, and he signed on as a White House press staffer in February 2011 and stepped, they say, inside the presidential bubble of the world's biggest superstar. With the frequently visiting stars, Kunin coined the phrase, got that sun in your eyes, which means behaving different due to proximity to someone or something deemed cool. Something that happened more than I could have imagined, he writes. They got that sun in their eyes because, boy, I'm in the proximity of somebody and they're just so cool. <laughs> in America Under Attack... Mr. Fleury writes in Chapter 2, he says, Reporter Michael Hastings published a book called Panic 2012, The Sublime and Terrifying Inside Story of Obama's Final Campaign. In it, he described the intriguing personal effect that the president would have on the journalists covering him on the campaign trail. In an interview about his book, Hastings told MSNBC's Martin Bashir 
But that's the presence of Obama, even on the press corps, even on the people who follow him every day. When they're near him, they lose their minds sometimes. They start behaving in ways that are juvenile and amateurish, and they swoon because he's so cool. They got that sun in their eyes. I mean, and, and it's easy to kind of think, well, whatever, that's interesting, but not a big deal. But it is a big deal, as is pointed out here, because why is that? Like, why did... Why, why is there that magnetism there? Why are people so just overwhelmed where they can't even think clearly? Uh, what's going on there? I mean, it is something to really stop and ponder. Yeah, because the the way that people fawn over Obama does not match up with his qualifications. He came into office completely unvetted as basically an inconsequential community organizer, a senator who never voted yay or nay on any of the issues. And then he comes into the presidency and he permanently damages America to where it can never go back to super super superpower status ever again. So what are people so obsessed about? What has he ever done that is for the good of the country? And yet no one's even thinking about it. No one no one even looks into whether he did anything that was helpful or beneficial to America. They just come around him and they're they become obsessed with him and all they want to do is is please this person with no qualifications whatsoever. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. It's almost like back in high school, like the popular crowd, even back then I knew like these people are not going to do much after high school. This is like the pinnacle of their lives. All they care about is looking pretty and being cool, like kind of, you know, leaning against the wall in a stylish way while wearing the latest type of sneakers. And, And yet they're not going to actually do anything worthwhile. Why do people even get, so caught up in that and in the case of obama it's it's really extreme to where you have to understand there's a spiritual element to it it's not just that he has the cool personality of like the popular group in high school it's also that uh he had some power on his side as well yeah that's pointed out in this this book america under attack which is so vital to read right now Mr. Fleury wrote that the mainstream media regularly just go along with what the president says even at times when it can be easily proven false what is causing such actions? Even Hastings himself admitted getting caught up in th- this behavior around the president. I do, he laughed. I totally, oh man. This reporter thought this was funny. Is it really funny? No, it is an unparalleled, colossal disaster. Hastings described an opportunity he had to ask questions of the president. Did I ask the hardball questions? He admitted with a smile. No, I did not opting instead to ask the soft questions. And Mr. Fleury writes, why would that happen? Can Satan have such an influence? Yes, he can, and that is only the beginning. What happens when most of the media just follow along with whatever the president says? What is going on? That is totally uh, terrible behavior. It seems these supposed professionals have lost all consciousness of their responsibility as journalists. And without a free and truthful media, he says, a republic cannot survive. So, you know, even now after the president leaves office, but is still very much uh, an influencer, you've got this this former aide come out and say, oh, we've got that sun in their eyes. You know, you're around somebody that's so cool. <laughs> and they don't understand that what they're talking about is the influence of Satan, who comes as an angel of light. Where God says, judge by the fruits, because if it's a good tree, it'll produce good fruits. 
If it's a bad tree, it produces bad fruits. What are the fruits of that administration? Cool isn't a fruit. No. <laughs> That's, that lasts anyway. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a feeling, I guess, or an impression, but it's not a concrete fruit that you can really sink your teeth into. Yeah, and another aspect that makes it so confounding, if you don't understand the spiritual element, is just how these celebrities who, relative to Obama, were actually really accomplished, are so enamored with Obama. I mean, a lot of these celebrities are putting out multiple platinum albums. They're, in, they're the star in multiple probably dozens of great movies uh, relatively speaking obviously because a lot of it's not the best quality content and yet they're caught up in this person who hasn't done anything like literally had done nothing before he became president and even while he was the president uh one of the the biggest things he did was fill out the ncaa march madness tournament bracket uh, every march so it's it's not even it doesn't even make sense from that standpoint why all these people who are at the top of their fields and really just producing things constantly are obsessed with someone who hasn't produced hardly anything. That's the power of uh, popularity. I mean, and, and you reference, say, like high school. That's probably where most people <laughs> experience that. But but that's true. I mean, you know, you can have a new kid come to school and all of a sudden they're popular and everyone's trying to jockey for position. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I, I know him. Yeah, I hang out. Yeah, we hang out. <laughs> you know. Happens, but but it happens at the highest level too. So, America Under Attack is a very vital book. Uh, it was referenced on the Trumpet Daily today as well. Uh, make sure you listen for the Trumpet Daily radio show coming up here in a bit, and the Trumpet Hour today as well. Uh, I have to I have to give the Trumpet Hour a plug because I'm on there today too. You so are not that that is all that relevant, but I think the story is <laughs> relevant. And uh, talking somewhat about just the really pedophilia crisis in this country and and in the West and. Terrible subject. You don't even like to think about it. But some of the headlines that are out there are just outrageous. And so the angle of it is, and and I hope you listen to it. But the angle of it is that when the fathers aren't there to protect their children, then they're victimized very often. And here's a headline from today that is on the positive side of this negative story. And if there was more of this, you'd see that pedophilia go away. This is from Sacramento. Man hospitalized after a father catches him trying to grab toddler at park. A man was hospitalized and arrested Saturday after he grabbed a three-year-old at a Northern California park and was punched in the face by the girl's father. <laughs> That's what should happen. I mean, I'm not advocating violence, of course, but I mean, if you to prevent some horrific thing like that, how I mean, that'll make people think twice. If you, if some perverts out there looking at a, at a child and you see the father there, you'll probably go away. And the stats show that those that are victimized and, and are 20 times more likely to be victimized, they're from broken homes where mm-hmm. they do not have their biological father. Right. And it's really uh, just kind of uh, a fascinating I guess, exercise to think about all the things in society that wouldn't exist if strong fathers were around. The Me Too movement, the Time's Up movement, these these things have to do with men who might be predators, uh, some of them, a lot of them are just accused, but the ones who grew up to be predators obviously didn't have a strong father around to lead them in the right way. The women who uh, are the prey in some of these cases, a lot of time just didn't have a father figure or a husband figure around or even a, a good brother to make sure that they were safe. Uh, so that those whole movements wouldn't exist. Pornography wouldn't exist because 
definitely women would not be going into that if they had been reared the right way at home. Uh, obviously, all kinds of like rape and child abuse would not exist because the fathers, the men would be around. The men would be raising men who do not even want to think about treating women that way. I mean, so many things would just disappear from society if men just basically fulfilled their roles like they should. Right. And there's a lot of statistics, too, just about the, the difficulty with the uh, Internet and how these uh, predators are using the, the children's social media accounts to find out where they are, what they like to do. So even there, you know, a father could be in the home, but just sort of absent by not paying a lot of attention and not knowing what the kids are up to. And I think it's like 60-some percent of teens say they can easily hide it from their parents. So if you're not really vigilant, the problems can creep up there as well. But uh, I just thought this was an amazing uh, example of somebody stepping in immediately, the father, and saying that's enough, and and putting an end to it and saving his daughter, may probably her life, but certainly terrible, terrible uh, scars in her life. And uh, so, it, really, an interesting story there. And I, it's interesting too if you look at the statistics. When the father's not in the home, a lot of times the abuse occurs by the boyfriend that comes around later. It's not the biological father. It's the next guy or the next in the long line of guys in that home. And uh, there was a story the other night, actually, because I had talked about this subject at a uh, spokesman's club that we had on Monday night. And I came home, and my wife knew I was talking about it. And she said that night there was a story just here locally where uh, a baby was killed because the mom went to work and left at home with the boyfriend, who's not the father, and killed the kid. You know, and so, and she, so she has to get a call at work, by the way, you know, your, your baby's, you know, it, I think it was at the hospital at the time and I think died. You can find those stories every day on the news, pretty much. I mean, if you look nationally, certainly you can find them every single day. So the family breaks down and then who are the victims? It's the kids. They suffer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just terrible. It makes you really angry to even find stories like that, to have to think about them, uh, much less even have to talk about them like you had to at that club. And and it, at least it serves as motivation for us to try to make sure that we do it right, because just the consequences of doing it wrong, especially today where it is a lot more dangerous to just let your kid walk down the street in the neighborhood than it used to be. You have to be constantly uh, vigilant and, and dig, uh, diligent because anything could happen. And you just because uh, your daughter or your son might advance to teenage years and think they're too cool to be watched over by you anymore does not mean that's actually true. You always have to be watching over them and helping them in any way you can and trying to protect them all you can from the different threats that are out there. Yeah, it's a much different world than it was a few years ago, even with uh, the uh, Internet and so forth. You know, one of the most stunning statistics, well, there's a couple of them, but one of them is that in the last decade, according to the FBI, the amount of arrests for uh, child pornography has increased 2,500% in the U.S. 2,500%. And of all the state prisons, the, the sex offenders that are in there, I think it's around 75% or so that are for abusing minors. And there's 100,000 of those people. They don't know where they are. Oh. Like they're supposed to be, you know, on a list and they're supposed to be, have where they're supposed to know their whereabouts. And there's at least 100,000. They don't know where they are. Ones people that have been convicted already. Right. Not to mention people that just haven't gotten caught yet. 
And the numbers are even hard to pin down because only about a little over 30% are even reported. I mean, that's the world we live in. You know, when you look at the the Bible talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and what God did to those cities because of their perversions, and we, we just you know, see it happening in this country. Um, but, yeah. but again, who's going to stop it? You know, where the fathers are the ones that would stop it if they were in the homes. But you just don't have that today. So, well, the kids get sacrificed. Yeah, and the sad reality is that no matter how good of fathers we are, uh, just on a on a personal level, we can't stop it from happening to everybody. It, that's right. that's something that has to be solved in the future with God intervening and fixing people's minds, fixing people's lives, undoing all the damage that people have suffered over the years. Uh, but we can fix it with those around us, within our home, but even. Uh, just the the sphere of influence that we might have in uh, the lives of other children. Usually most of us uh, aren't just involved with our own children, but others too. And we can all try to work together to make sure that at least as far as we can reach, we prevent things like that from happening. Yeah. It's a unbelievable story. So anyway, that's talked about more in the trumpet hour. There's, and then the trumpet hour gets into a lot about the, uh, the deep state. It's amazing how, these terms like deep state and other things that not too long ago were like, oh, you know, sort of fringe ideas and sort of uh, conspiracy theory movies. I mean, this stuff is happening. And uh, it's you don't have to guess about it. The proof's out there that there is a whole underbelly of society that is uh, working to overthrow free elections. Yeah, and the media really did try hard to dismiss all of that as a conspiracy that's probably a big part of why it's taken so long for people to realize it actually is happening uh but that's usually how it goes the media will denounce something pretty hard for a while and then finally months and months or years later people really start looking into it and they realize that well the media and these other groups have been pretty deceptive about it there actually is a pretty big problem going on here yeah so uh, make sure you listen for the Trumpet Hour, the Trumpet Daily Radio Show, and also the uh, Trumpet Brief from yesterday talked a lot about what's happening with that ongoing investigation of President Trump. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where you have to really go to a good news source like the Trumpet to get to the heart of what's going on there. Because I think we're all familiar with some of the names, sort of, and but how do they all play in and what's going on and... There's investigations about investigations, and it starts <laughs> to kind of just become this overwhelming, you know, thing where I think people get the main point that the media is pushing, which is uh, President Trump's bad, uh, he's hiding things, and they just need to get him out of there. But forget about all the details. <laughs> but when you look at the details, it, it turns out that uh, it's actually a deep state effort to remove him and and overturn a, a democracy well it's almost like these ongoing seemingly endless investigations are intentionally boring because people just don't have the attention span to keep up with all the minutiae that's involved and the media really takes advantage of that because they basically will tell you the synopsis they'll tell you their shaded synopsis of what's going on and it is it is a lot to sift through if you're trying to really get the, to the truth of the matter uh the trumpet does have some great articles though about what's going on and they make it interesting and they make you understand why it's so important it's not bec whether or not this president gets impeached that's not what is the important uh, crux of the issue it's about 
certain people high within our law enforcement agencies trying to overthrow the government. It's it's straight out of like some sort of an action drama movie. Yeah, but with real world consequences. So make sure you check out thetrumpet.com. That's all the time we have for today on Trumpet Radio Live. Uh, for Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. You're listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.